When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. I always drove horses on the road, but I couldn't drive horses anymore. You'll be driving there in a horse today, and a car come on doing 100 miles an hour, but that's the way it goes today, like. And I think you raise a very good question about the culture changing, but I think that's inevitable given the, the technological age. The art of conversation in some ways is in the decline. I mean, we have moved from sitting around the fire and having conversations and storytelling to texting and uh, mobile phones and uh, emails. So I think uh, the way we communicate has changed tremendously in the last 50 years for sure, since the time when I left Ireland in the 60s. Mm-hmm. So I think the younger generation, certainly they communicate, but it's a whole different way. I think we have lost something in terms of uh, uh, coming together in the public houses, which is really what the pub is, where the public would gather and uh, share stories and uh, support each other and you know, whether it's talking about the weather or the turf or whatever, but uh, there was a great community feeling. Uh, now it's be, it's more one-to-one or it's more uh, instant. It's like anything else. It's like the microwave versus the open fire. But um, there was a very uh, well-known... Um, when was the last time you told the story? Bandsman here in Lissol one time, a fellow called Bunny Dalton. When was the last time you heard a story? And Bunny was a great storyteller, an exceptional storyteller. And uh, he actually told me a story one time about himself. When was the last time you were in a story? It's a great uh, thing about a person to be able to tell a story or tell a joke about themselves. It's a great trait of a person. But Bunny anyway told me the story about... uh, He was... um, Over the years he has played a series of dances in a place called Karakiri. It's out in, in West Limerick. And um, at, the, uh, at the time, the number of dancers he had attended out there playing, uh, he, there was trouble at the dancers. But this particular year, there had been no trouble. And he was delighted. He was playing the last few bars of a waltz around half past one at night. It had started snowing outside and some fella came in with a big snowball and threw the snowball up and hit Bunny in the face. 
And Bunny said to me, Vincent, I, I took off the accord and I put it on the ground. And I turned around to my son, Tommy, and I said, did you see it who threw the snowball? And Tommy said, no. So Bunny faced the crowd, the big crowd, and he said, uh, would the man that threw the snowball stand up in the middle of the floor? And he, he said to me, you know, he said there was a big crowd there and the crowd parted like the Red Sea. And he said, this fella started walking up the floor. And I knew I was in trouble, he said. And I looked down and I had one chance. And he said, did you throw that snowball? And your man, he was about six foot two and about 16 stone. He said, I did. And Bonin looked, cut the losses and he said, you have a great shot. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I didn't see the, I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't either. <laughs> Down in North Kerry stories still matter. And how you tell them still matters. Right, there were seventy four pubs and that was in nineteen fifty five. I don't know how everybody existed or for their families. But we had Listoral races. We had three days of Listoral races. We had the horse fairs and the cattle fairs. And that brought business to everybody. And uh, John B. and myself had a bar and a grocery. And the little grocery was lovely and it brought in lovely people. Since Mary and John B. Keane opened their public house in 1955, the number of pubs in Listowel has reduced from 74 to just 22. That's the loss of 52 pubs, the loss of 52 places where stories were housed. People got old and they didn't continue. A licence was only about 40 euros, 40 pounds, I'd say, at that time. And I think at the moment it is 100 and maybe 20 or 30 or 40,000 euros, which is a fine pile of money. And for elderly people now that wouldn't have any pension or anything, and it would be just just great if they want to, if they want to retire from the pub trade, and they can sell their license and live in the house then happily, and with, with the with all that hundred and something thousand, it is a, it is a lovely little nest egg. So uh, a lot of them are selling like that, I think. And about the smoking ban, I love it. I love the smoking ban. All the fumes are gone out of the bar. And it, our bar looks twice the size because when you come in the door, everything is clear and it is lovely and there's no ashtrays on the tables. And But, of course, it took from the story telling that you spoke about uh, a good bit. But it's still in all, you see, it is the elderly people that tell the stories and they are gone. They can't come. Now, they would only drink maybe one or two drinks and drive home and they'd kill nobody and they'd do no harm to anyone. But they just drive slowly and go home. But they can't do it anymore because they'll be cut and they'll be brutalised. And then they're isolated when they can't drive their cars. So these, these young fellas that do all the damage are gone. I see them driving. In a shot, they're gone. I don't think anyone could catch them. I often look to say, I catch their number now and I report them. Not at all. They're gone. You, can't, you couldn't see their number. You couldn't read it. In it was in the truth I got a little load of help now, but anyway. In the year of our Lord, 1934, no! No, it was a fair year for primroses, it was a better year for hay. But do not like this year, no, it was a woeful year for funerals. My grandfather, Murashin Connor, 
Didn't he tackle up the pony and trap and picked up his old friend Teddy Dowd in Lacca and off they went to Ballybunnan for the 15th of August. So that was their lifelong pattern on Patham Day. Stories are how we communicate with each other. It's not just about information. We challenge, entertain, play, try to make people laugh, anything to get their attention. It's hard to define, to pin down, to protect. They could hear an old, an old dog barking in the distance. In the United Nations, those in charge of protecting culture have come up with a name, immaterial patrimony. But our particular form of story may be too intangible to fit into their definition, which includes protecting traditions, knowledge, languages and artistic expressions. The French, for example, protect the traditional bread-making skills and you can apply for state protection if you practice a traditional craft. But who's protecting our stories? Next thing, Dowd felt the liquid flowing down along his leg. His first thought was for the noggin. He put down his hand. Oh, it is all right, lads, to say, tis only blood. <laughs> At that, anyway, he squared up for the free. He lifted the slitter with his command and he lashed at it, Irish, with the ball went away off to the right. Didn't it fly through the eye of a Celtic cross? From there, struck the pole of a plaster angel, was redirected onto the outstretched arm of a figure of Michael the Archangel, and from there, it skeeved its way inside the left upright into the back of the neck! What if we lost a story like that? What if we lost all our stories? Full-time uh, mendicant professor of poetry, stories, songs and nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good life. Um, you know, storytelling has declined. Um, in the old days, storytelling used to be the Shanaki Oscar And then from the early 20th century on, maybe the middle 19th century on, the stories became stories in English. And uh, there's many kinds of stories you'll get. You'll get the authentic storyteller who has a story to tell about the locality and probably local fairs or nowadays maybe even local people, new people coming to the community. Then you'll get the professional storyteller who uh, is usually a clone of Eamon Kelly. Uh, there are other storytellers now that, that tell other stories and tell their own stories. Like Sometimes stories tend to be just linked anecdotes or, or, or linked jokes. And that, that really is, is not going anywhere. But story should be a narrative that, that has a beginning, middle and end. And, um... Speed, speed, speed. And when I was young, we thought there was nothing as fast as a good pony on the road. But Jesus, my dad used to say, like, that fellow has a great pony up there. My God, isn't he well able to go, like... and. You see, all that thing is gone now. It is all cars now and fast motor cars. The story should be a narrative that, that has a beginning, middle and end and um, in a sense tells the story of a community or a story of a person's life or the story of a person's perceptions. It just goes to show that stories don't have to be just coy little um, anecdotes that tend to be risky and maybe stage Irish at times. 
But um, I'm glad to say that in, in, even given the decline of storytelling and singing and dancing and music in pubs, that you will still find pockets of it in certain places. Now, the place we're in tonight is, is my van. It's Maraid Carney's bar. Now, Maraid Carney is, of course, Mrs. Maraid Welsh. But she is such a powerful woman from her youth that nobody would dare call her Mrs. Maraid Welsh. She, she retains her maiden name, Maraid Carney. And uh, you find, like, that people come in here first story you notice we're all of the older generation like I would be probably the youngest person in the bar at uh, 55 years of age and uh, storytellers come in musicians come in once upon a time when we were younger and madder and played for free beer we come in three nights a week nowadays we come when we feel like it and uh, that's that's regularly but uh, I mean Paddy Fitz the, the great accordion player is, is in his 80s now Richard Casey comes from Causeway from here, which is a good lick. It's a half an hour's journey, but he comes here because he likes to play here. Irene Manor, again, she's Mrs. Irene Cronin, but she's such a powerful woman. She's retained her maiden name. She comes in. Um, Mary Thompson comes in. Sean Foley comes in. It's, it's a place... You see, a pub like this is really a community centre. And um, it's where people recreate themselves. Now, I like to use the word recreation because you can put a hyphen between the, uh, the re and the creation in other words, you remake yourself and if you're living alone three miles from the village and you have nothing but the dog for company and maybe the television maybe you don't turn on the television maybe you couldn't care less the only place you can come for a fag let's, let's be honest for a fag and, and a story and a drink is to the pub um, the Southern Health Board were on, tele- were on the television the other night on the news saying that uh, one of the dangers for society nowadays is people drinking at home. But do they have to? Because they won't let us drink in the pubs anymore. So uh, there's a sea change in society. And what implications that has for the storytelling and the music, I don't know. Like in a small village, any small village, rural village, you find you've got a church, a school and a pub. The old bulwarks of Irish traditional society are going. And we're in a period of transition John B. Keane wrote famously about the period of transition in the 1950s in plays like Sive. We're in another period of transition now. In some of the pubs here, you will find Brazilians drinking. Which they're very welcome. You'll find Poles drinking, people that are working here. And they will integrate themselves in to our society. Give them a few years and they will. And they will have stories too. At least I hope they will. Their own stories. So maybe we're looking at a new story of Ireland and a new story of rural Ireland. When we integrate their stories with our stories... And uh, that's a cultural richness, I think, that can be explored. Now, one of the things you'll notice is that I grew up in a small shop opposite the creamery, a grocery shop. The farmers would come into the shop and they'd talk. They had time to talk. Uh, they'd tell their stories. They'd buy their loaf of bread and their packet of fags and whatever, grain of tea. And uh, then maybe some of them would go to the pub and just half pints they drank. They didn't always drink pints. Maybe a half pint of Guinness and a whiskey would be their drink and they'd go home. But nowadays, there's such a rush. Like, with all the machinery we have, and with all the modern technology, we're rushing more. We have less time. I mean, if you want to call into somebody's house nowadays, you have to make an appointment. You have to phone. Whereas in the old days, you could just drop in. So, uh, the pace of life is quickening as well. And there is less time for stories. So, I would, say, I would contend, like, and I would make a plea to leave the pubs alone. Because, I mean, the facts are, isn't there a pub closing every day in Ireland somewhere? And... Um, these people need a life. I mean, otherwise you're looking at depression, you're looking at suicide. Unfortunately, it's an awful fact to say, I don't like saying it, but that's what you are looking at. There are a thousand places like my van around Ireland, in every county, 
at the edge of every city. Storytelling, formal or informal, is the heartbeat of every community. With the emptying pubs comes the end of the pub, and with the end of the pub comes the end of the story. Brenda Tobin. Hi, Eileen. How are you? Manahar, I won't call her Eileen Cronin. She's Eileen Manahar. And where's Molly gone? Molly's gone. She went out the door there. And after they all get made up to his radio and that television. It doesn't matter. Jesus. Oh, I'm so sorry. Made up power. Oh, Jesus, made up. There's no one making up at all. Freddie Tobin, Molly Carney. Hello, how are you? Welcome to my bed. This is your bar, is this? Right, sure. So, she'll talk to us. And when she is revved up, she'll talk to you as well. But not that she's revved up. Long ago, it was a meeting place as well, because um, people went nowhere. You know, they were on foot, and they came to the local pub for entertainment and even to know who was dead or alive. You know, all the news. Yeah. I suppose really the the drink driving really did affect the bars because I mean everyone is working. They need their license. It's the inconvenience of being off the road, you know. So I suppose you have taxis in the city. You wouldn't have a whole lot of taxis on here now. And I don't think the country people would believe in paying, you know. It isn't that they wouldn't want to pay, but they, they wouldn't feel like I'd often drive my customers home now if, say, they had a few drinks and the girls were around. I would drive them home, you know. I would, uh, like, if they got stuck, you know. They kind of... But... Um, um, like it's, it's, I don't think you'll train country people to get a taxi. Do you know, it's, it's, I, I suppose in a city you grow up with it, whereas in the country um, they don't understand, they don't seem to understand that you can get a taxi like they'd prefer if I drove them home. <laughs> They're a nice clientele of people then, you know, and they like to have the chat you know, <laughs> and the banter. I suppose they like you to be here from as well, you know, not to have different staff coming and going, so... But um, it's nice because, as you say, it's a way of life. And stories are a way of life, our way of life. People can't drink, they can't come, they're not interested, you know, when they can't have a few drinks, because I suppose the drink relaxes people, you know. But uh, then... They won't start talking until they've had a few. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So it really has affected across the board, you know, which is a pity, really. Because Ireland has such a good name uh, for the, the, the atmosphere and the pubs and the good traditional nights, you know. And it takes, it takes practice to get those skills, you know. Oh, it does, I suppose, it does, yeah, after years. You, you need to spend years in the pub before you can get those. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. You know, it's a pity in one way because I suppose with all the young drivers being killed, they had to do something. It's frightening, the roads are frightening. So, yeah. Because I suppose before people would have four or five pints and drive away home and they were okay, you know. But I suppose we have to change with the times. <laughs> Six or eight years ago, tourism replaced agriculture as our, our primary industry. And the thing is that in any survey that was ever done, the big draw was the Irish hospitality. But that is the actual ability to just converse, make small talk and make everyone feel part of the house and feel welcome and all that. And if we start losing that skill, all of a sudden the that the falcha, that kind of disappears. And if it disappears again, scenery is nice and all that, they, they won't come just for the scenery. There's lots of places 
with nice seeing there are stuff that's different to, to see you need the extra and again I think it's another aspect of it we might yeah. be losing like I think of characters like there's one in my home place and I remember and when the stories, when they start going well now, don't know when they be, they be flowing well, and we say, oh, "Good, good man, yourself, Mick, they're, they're flying now, don't know, and oh, they're flowing out in me now." He says, and it's just true, and, and he'd believe it, like he'd probably he's getting carried away with the whole sense of himself anyway, don't know. But it's, yeah, there's, there's a warmth in it, don't know. Just the stories, and it was so relaxing to listen to the stories. And when the pub was kind of half quietish, to have a few old stories going on and things was great. But the stories are dying out. Stories are about connections. I'd be willing to connections with our past, connections with our future, where we came from and where we're going to. There is one man, he's 90, he comes in and we talk about the olden times and we always finish up saying, for God's sake, should the youth wouldn't believe us at all if they heard us talking like this. The things we were talking about that really happened and all, they wouldn't listen to us, they wouldn't believe us. Like, take the dances. When I was young, you dressed up, you dressed up, I went to the dance and your partner and yourself dance to a beautiful orchestra like Mick de la Hunte. All these beautiful orchestras there up in, uh, on the bandstand for our benefit. And we got, we got it all for about five bob. And we'd dance until maybe three o'clock. We never, we never heard of vodka or gin or anything. And we might, when we'd come home, we, had, we, would, we would maybe, there was no minerals in our house. When we came home, there was just pure spring water and uh, milk. And, uh, and you wouldn't dream of making tea in case you woke up the whole house with the kettle, boiling the kettle. And, and that's the way it was. Listening to Mary Keane is like looking through a window at the past. The past comes to life through her stories. And stories are how we remember. Stories are how we remember places events, people. Stories are how we connect the living with the dead. great friends with other men as well, and boys, next thing you were friends and pals. Then if you wanted to look out for a man, of course, there was a great way altogether of getting a fella. He'd say, where's your coat? You knew then. Uh, but John B. wrote a bit uh, one time, he, if, he used to say himself, if the lady gave you the purse to mind it, you were right. I gave him my purse to mind, but, and, but he got many a purse, I'd say. But I met him, um, I, I met him um, in, during the stall races, and I didn't know who he was. And, when, uh, and he said, you have to come up now to see these beautiful lights. They had lights it was unique, you know, at least all. They had in the shape of a horseshoe, and the horseshoe was a huge, big horseshoe up in the poles, and all they were all lighted in all different blues and greens and pinks and everything. They were beautiful, and they'd they'd, they'd leave them on all night long. Said so you'll have to come up here now to the to the top here of the road, and you'll see the lights then down along the street. And then we walked down to the car, and um, my people said, John, don't write about her now. He said. So I said, gosh, this fellow writer, that's how I met him. And we, we went, went on for ages and ages. Then, you see, there was no jobs. And to get a house, like, was an impossibility. And, and we were waiting. So we, we bought this place then. 
and and uh, set it up and it was a job and a house and it was everything we still have it we're still here I say to him, for God's sake, we'll get out of here. We're here too long. We'll go someplace else. And we wouldn't have time. Tomorrow morning, there was always something else to do and say. And, and he, he he always had something on the pipeline. So we all miss him. There's, there's two sides to it. Let's talk about the pub, first of all. Yeah. And uh, there's the great social side to it, but also there's a dark side to it, and everything has the yin and the yang. And there's no, yes. there's, I've no problem talking about the dark side of it. I'm not being judgmental, but yes. it's just where a lot of all negativity and a lot of all, um, like people wasted a lot of time in there, you know, before when they had nothing better to do. So, like, people wouldn't have had great memories of pubs, people with alcoholic members of their families wouldn't. So, there's a lot of people that would be saying, to hell with it, like they made, they made hay while the sun shined, but uh, that'd be that side of it too, you know, that that'd be, that'd be a lot of, And they didn't do anything creative with people while they had them in there. That's, that's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, there are these draconian legislation about people, like there are, uh, the man that went to the pub and uh, took his few drinks and drove home again is not the cause of a number of serious accidents in rural Ireland. You know, there are other things like there's nobody testing people for drugs. So the uh, the rule it's going they're going to, be, to be, have to be preserved in the, as an institution because they do document a certain um, period in our history that, that, that needs to be valued and needs to be uh, like it was how people entertain themselves. But um, the only pubs that seem to be surviving now are in urban settings where they're next to a betting shop, or else that they have food. You know, and food is the primary uh, function of a pub, and second day is the is the drink, and people are drinking at home and off licences and everything. So it's a completely different change, pay, playing pitch. So there's no social dimension very often to people drinking, and um, people are getting drunk before they go out so that they can get totally slashed when they get out. But that's that's the way things are, like you know. So just. Um, um, there are suggestions that in rural places that people are dying of isolation, but rural Ireland is more resilient than that. Like it has, it has managed to absorb uh, so many different colonisations, and uh, we've had 800 years of uh, British supremacy, and we seem to be throwing everything away in 80 years that we managed to hold on to for 800 years, and. Uh, but there's another side to that too, like I know in my rural parish that there's uh, neighbours living about two kilometres apart. And every morning House A gets up and they see is smoke rising from the chimney in House B. And uh, if it is, they say it's okay, she's up, you know, and things are all right. So th there are invisible means of support. Uh, there's invisible acts of kindness taking place in rural settings. Like people are better networked than they're given credit for. You know, like people. That, uh, I think of Jimmy Roach up in Lyra Campan that runs the Four Elms. Like Jimmy Roach is providing a service. Jimmy Roach isn't in it to make money, but he's a social man and he values and appreciates and makes everyone feel special that comes in. And he doesn't like he'd have a conscience about him and he wouldn't. Um, he wouldn't, anyone that had had enough drink, he said, you have enough drink now, we'll look at somebody to drive you home. And there's, there's a lovely kind of a, um, a dimension to these people's lives. And uh, um, 
and uh, it's not been it's not been trumpeted any place. Now, the rural island of um, storytelling and everything like that, uh, a lot of it took place in pubs, and of course the story was greatly added to when somebody had a few drinks in them, and um, like the stories that were told at closing time and the stories that would be told the following morning around the breakfast table were very, very different. Brendan Kennelly has written a poem called The Story. The Story. And uh, if we're not housed within a story, where are we? And I believe that the economic story has taken over in this country and now people are finding that that's a leaky boat. And... uh, uh, I would feel that living in rural Ireland, as I have for the last 25 years, that uh, the story that I live out of, would I wouldn't feel it reflected anyway in the national understanding of the national uh, pa- media, papers. Or, and I'm not offering this as a critique of blaming the media for everything, you know. I just don't feel that the lived experience of my life is not reflected in uh, the caricature that's often presented. But I just see that there's wonderful imagination and humour and life in rural Ireland that that never gets expressed or that never gets mapped onto the national national identity. I wanted to make this documentary to find out about stories and what they mean to us in our society. After a couple of days in North Kerry, I began to realise that there was something much deeper going on. If we lose our stories, we lose our connections. And if we lose our connections, we begin to lose our identity. The the older people that tell the stories, I suppose... Don't go out because they they don't they can't they don't they can't drive to the pub and have four or five pints and drive home so maybe they don't go out and then another thing I think is because everybody has a car now there isn't that many people with stories to tell because they don't like we all we're all going from A to B every day now and and we hardly meet anyone because we're all too busy flying around and there's no stories like there used to be long ago I think anyway. When I was younger, I remember my father used to go to the neighbouring houses and they'd be, he'd come back with stories or whatever. Or there'd be storytelling going on in the houses he visited. But now there's no such thing because we hardly know who we live beside these days, even in the rural areas. Long ago, I suppose, the old people, the tiny little simple thing was a huge thing in a community, whereas now... You'd have there'd nearly have to be a murder a murder in the in the area before it would cause gossip. Yeah, it's just the society we live in. It's just not. I think we're all too self-absorbed to 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 want to to want to even care about what the neighbour next door is doing. To be honest, I hardly see my next door neighbours. Whereas my my parents' age, they they knew everything that happened in the next door and ten houses down the road, and mind the next door house. Whereas now you don't even know your neighbours anymore because... And, like, where are the stories, then? No, you want it? Now in the month of September 1945... Don't miss now. Two ladies from no town they for the ride. Don't miss. Or the mounted engine Oh, that it for my soul. 
and a hit for the plaza in the town of Listol. The craft of formal storytelling, the repetition, the detail, the insight, the rhythm, all leave a residue in every story we tell. You see, the meat pies, traditional feast here in Listol for the week of the races, and it is unique. We are all storytellers. One or two places in Kerry. And part of the story, because that's how we remember. Well, I often made... 10, 60 of them, and they have work, hard going. But when my buyer come back for the races and come home, I'd say, would you, would you like a meat pie? Would I like two meat pies? So it's uh, our great-great-grandfathers ate it, and it kept the bones going, and, and they would eat it before or after drink, and it spared the woman of the house from cooking vegetables and potatoes and meat and everything. The meat pie covered everything. I made mine yesterday. I, I, I devoted my whole day to them and I had the door locked and no one came in to distract me and I made 30. And they're very handy because if you have a visitor, which you would often have a visitor, and they'd be hungry, give them a meat pie and they're fed for, for a day and a night. A story is like a pint. We give it, we receive it, we consume it, we nurture it. There was a great port from the Dale Road called Barry. It speaks for itself. And he was going in the bus one day to Tralee. And he said, I met it, it was the time that the Nyland Stockings came in first, in the ladies. Before that, you wouldn't see through their legs at all. He said, I met a girl on the bus while travelling to Tralee. She pulled out a fag and threw her leg across her knee. The smoke and clouds came down her nose. Her modesty was gone. I had to pinch her leg to know if she had stockings on. Hi there. Hiya. Hi, Jimmy. How are you? Hiya, Joan. How are you? Thank you very much. On a Saturday night up at Jimmy Roach's bar at the crossroads in Lyra Compon, everything becomes clear. This is where the real story is. From here you can see the beginning, middle and the end. Very tough. Very tough. For instance, we don't open here during the day, no, at all. We open in the evening, maybe seven or half seven. But um, because nobody nobody can come here to the pub and, and, and we're too far away, like, they have to be able to drive and what happens now, they're dropped off maybe by their wives or their girlfriends or something like that. And, you know, to, the pub in, in, in rural pubs, I think, anywhere more a social centre and even even in town, there's you know there's there's nowhere else to go around here. For instance, my my oldest customer now is he's ninety three years. He comes nearly every night. Uh, well, he's dropped off by some of, one of his family, and they they leave him for a couple of hours. But the first thing he he says when he comes in to the bar 
to either myself or to anybody inside any news after the day. You know, we have no taxis around this area as such, so you have to ring a taxi from the nearest town, Listowel or Castle Island, and they drop you, but you still have to get back home afterwards again. That's why a lot of fellas on their own, you know, they wouldn't be married or anything, they'd just come up for their one or two pints and they can't even do that now anymore. Yeah. Or else they come early and go home early, they wouldn't be out late, so then... Yeah, that's yeah. that's the man, the man who's really hit. Mm. If you like, the postman, the postman and the pub are his, his lifeline, mm. you know, his connection with the outside world. You know, people who live in... in, in they're living fa- very far enough the main road or something like that. They're living in a backward area. Um, like to come to the pub for just to meet people and have a chat or a talk and have a drink of those. Yeah. Last word, Jim. I think I think we've had it. Have <laughs> it's it's a catch twenty two situation. The the authorities have to try to to make laws, but it is very hard to make laws to suit everybody. I suppose you know. Very hard to make a, a, a rule for for Dublin and compare it with Larry Trumpan. You know, as Jackie Healy said uh, some some years ago when when this rule came in first, they had what's that? They had the slogan on jump on the dart to use the use the the, the bus. Why are you going to get a dart or, or a bus in Larry Trumpan at twelve o'clock at night? <laughs> that's that's it. There's no simple reason why we're nearing the end of the story, but at crossroads throughout the country, there's an awareness that we need to pause and stop and listen. When I think of John B. Heen, John B. had a wonderful gift of English, and he he just had, and there's lovely stories told about him and the little one-liners he used, and they're they're very good, they're brilliant, a lot of them. But the thing is that uh, for, for to have the story to actually build his language around and not a lot of the stories that he got were from the people who walked in the door there they sat down with their pint and it could be all kinds of ramesh or rubbish but it's just that there was possibilities for all of it and Billy often tells the story how about the fella at the front door saying how his father was one of the smartest men that ever lived here he got us to tell him stories and then he wrote them down and charged us for reading them and but the whole thing there is that uh I think there's less possibility of us seeing a John B type character into the future because fact is, you want to have access to the stories that we always had. Because definitely when I was younger, when I went to the local pub and it wasn't for drink, it, it was to meet up and the stories of the day or what have you. And again, it was a farming background, but it was the stories of what was going on in, in, on, in everyone's yard and again the way fellas were cut out or the way someone else pulled wool over their eyes and just it was all I suppose you could say honest roguery that type of thing do you know but uh, the possibilities of those stories being told to each other they're lessened and lessened like there's even a therapy in it when you are meeting others and sharing your bits of problems and God knows in farming it was how we trained each other even. Do you know it was a case of you had a problem with whatever it was and oh God, that happened to me a number of years ago and I did this, this and or I went to wherever. Do you know, and that's so this is how you actually learned an awful lot of it. You learn so much from books but you'll learn a damn sight more from others that have been there. Do you know and uh, I, I don't know, I actually I can see a lot of stuff being lost. And well computers and television, I can't see how they're going to replace that. I'm 
I'm afraid that even the younger ones, even our own kids, unless their social skills I'd worry about to an extent even because uh, they're not going to get to develop. They won't know how to say things and the bit of a laugh to go with it that while they're pulling someone's leg they can do it in a certain way that they know they'll get away with it. You know, I'm afraid that the, if they don't know exactly how far to go and how to deliver it, ah, good, ah, it's the last, ah, you know, and it's, all, it's only rubbish but it is a skill. If they don't learn it that way, and if they meet the wrong one, they'll get into all kinds of bother. And do you know, it, I don't know. It's there's stuff being lost there, and I just I'd love to know how it'll be replaced. I don't see it coming. And uh, this lad, he was um, uh, he he was Miss uh, Muldoon because uh, he went to the priest, went to confession, and uh, he said to the priest, he said, uh, Father, he says, look, he said, you might be able to help me. So the priest says, of course, Muldoon, and he said. Uh, you know, he said, um, my, um, uh, oh yeah, could you, uh, my best friend has died, he said, could you, um, could you say mass for my best friend? So the, Muldoon, or the priest said to him, uh, of course, Muldoon, he says, uh, of course I can uh, say mass. Uh, what's his name? Oh, he said, uh, it was my dog, my best friend. Oh, Muldoon, he said, I'm disgusted, he said, we don't say mass for animals, he said. Uh, so can you do anything said Muldoon so the priest was thinking he said no he said Muldoon he said go down the road they're Baptist down the road he says and they say prayers for everything he said they'll say a service for you so Muldoon was just going out to the door and he says father he said uh, do you think he says uh, 15,000 would be enough as an offering so the priest turned around he said Muldoon he said why didn't you tell me he was a Catholic ah, that's great that's great that's great that's great that's brilliant. Okay, we finish on that okay. one. That's yeah. a great, great yeah. Thanks very much. You're welcome.